welcome to the Girls Who Run the World podcast, where we're bringing you inspiring guests who are leaders in their industries. We'll be tackling topics from education and empowerment to diversity and inclusion. Together, let's learn from these incredible women. This podcast is brought to you by Our Gorongosa. We create specialty coffee with 100% of profits supporting people, wildlife, and the planet in Gorongosa National Park, Mozambique. Girls' education is one of our biggest priorities because we know girls have the power to change the world. Just like Beyonce said, who runs the world? Girls! Welcome back to the Girls Who Run the World podcast. I'm your host, Emily, and I'm so thrilled that you are joining us here today for episode 32, featuring the incredible Renee Dunn of Amazi Foods. Before we get into that, I wanted to share a couple quick reminders. The first one is we love, love to see you sharing this podcast. So please share with anyone you know would find value in it. And we love to see you tag us on social media. It's at our Gorongosa. Last one is make sure you take advantage of our 15% discount for your very first coffee order. You know that we do coffee differently here from bean to brew. We want our specialty coffee to connect you to a greater purpose. When you buy our beans, you invest in our farmers, their communities, and the ecosystem they call home. With 100% of profits from your purchase going to the Gorongosa Project in Mozambique, it truly is the best of both worlds. Amazing specialty coffee, and it's something that gives back to an amazing, amazing initiative. So make sure to use your code 15% off podcast and get yourself your very first order if you haven't already. So in today's episode, like I said, we're talking to Renee Dunn, founder and CEO of Amazi Foods, which is a socially driven tropical fruit snack company on a mission to help you snack on purpose with their 100% made in Uganda products. In this episode, you'll learn about her early career journey and the inspiration for founding Amazi. We chat about the importance of seeing women-owned businesses thrive. We touch on what being a social enterprise means to Renee and how Amazi does social enterprise a little differently. And we talk about why transparency is on the minds of consumers more than ever and how Amazi Foods ensures they are providing this to their customers. Such an amazing conversation for anyone who's interested in supply chain, in entrepreneurship, and Renee is such a powerhouse. Without further ado, here's episode 32 featuring Renee Dunn from Amazi Foods. Welcome to the show, Renee. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Amazing. So we are just going to jump right on in. We're not going to waste any time. And I want to hear from you. What are you most grateful for in your life right now? Yeah, I think two things mainly. One is just the incredible support of my family. I like am very close with my mom and dad and as we all get older, I'm like more and more grateful for it every day. And then I'm also really grateful for my ability to move my body, like go for a walk and move and work out. So, yeah. Those are both incredible things that I think we do often take for granted. Yeah. <laughs> Agree. <laughs> what inspires you daily? What are some things that really get you excited about the life you're creating, about what you're doing with your business? What inspires you? 
Yeah. So I think like in very simple terms, I think for me, every new day, the little nuggets of like surprise or learning something or, you know, just getting to connect with people that maybe I wouldn't expect to connect with. I've been trying to get really clear on like what things actually like excite me these days. Uh, and, and it's sort of these like little unexpected things. And so I think this kind of is a bit of a transition, but I think what I often have to remind myself of, maybe it's not necessarily the inherent inspiration, but it's like, that could be possible. Cause I think when we get into our heads down kind of daily, you know, hamster wheel, uh, it kind of forget that. But as soon as I'm able to be like, oh, okay, well this conversation could really go somewhere or, you know, who knows, like I could go for a walk and run into this person or so I think just trying to be more open to that is like often gets the inspirational juices flowing a little bit. Yes, absolutely. What advice would you give your younger self if she would listen to you? She may not, but um, I think the advice of like, no one really cares. <laughs> like no one cares what you're doing. Like just be nice and work hard and like, do you? Uh, because I still even, I'm getting much better at realizing that, but you know, if the sooner you learn that, the better. (laughs) Oh, I love that one so much. And I think the older I've gotten, the more I've leaned into that. Yeah. I'm like, no one is sitting around worrying about what Renee wore yesterday or what Emily said wrong two days ago. Nobody cares. Everyone is so in a good way, I think of it like this, in a good yeah. way, we are all quite self-serving and quite mm-hmm. like self-interested. So mm-hmm. your life is always going to be the most important thing, right? And mm-hmm. you don't have a lot mm-hmm. of time to sit around thinking about what other people are doing. <laughs> so I think no, of it like that. Like, I don't, I don't sit around thinking, like I said, what, what it was Renee doing? I, like, who, no, I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah, no. <laughs> And we spend so much time like looking at other people and trying to figure out like, oh, if I do this, what will this mean? What will that mean? It never means as much to to anybody else as it does to you. So I think the less time we waste thinking about like, oh, what's it going to look like? What's it going to, who's going to think of it this way? Um, The more we can just like move forward with our lives and be happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And for me too, I think I have realized there's about, you know, three people's opinion I actually do care about. So if it's something where I'm, I'm thinking, okay, no, I think my partner or my, you know, my core family, Mm -hmm. this would be really not right for them. That's the only times where I've ever questioned anything. Otherwise it's like, aside from those, you know, core people for you, It's so freeing because really you don't care what some random person on the internet thinks of you. Do you? I hope not. Sure. No, no. Um, And I think like along those lines, like I, I think there's a difference between like thinking about your impact and like thinking about like taking others into consideration versus like everything being like, well, I don't know if this is the right thing. Like, I don't know if this person is going to approve of this or like, what if I do this thing? And like, nobody likes it. Like, I think that that's a very different uh, thing than, you know, like being like, well, I'm not going to just recklessly do this thing and like mess up things for everybody else. But yeah, I think the the ability to kind of let go of like 
you know, everyone's watching is like very freeing. Mm-hmm. I'm with yeah. you on that one. What's one mantra you like to live your life by? So this is, you sent me these questions in advance and this is the one that I was like thinking about more because I feel like there's the reminders that I tell myself and then the things that I'm not so good at. <laughs> like, I do think, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about recently, and this is kind of related to the previous point, like, how do I want to leave other people feeling? Because I know that when I get anxious, like it's pretty easy for me to be kind of tunnel vision. I like focus on the little things, like very, almost like micromanagey with like things around me um, and myself. <laughs> and, and then I think about it and I'm like, well, that interaction was so unfulfilling and they probably don't feel like they could, you know, come to me about something or, and I don't, that's actually not who I want to be. Like, I don't want to be that person. So I think that that, like that reminder every day or week or so sitting down and being like, well, am I really showing up as like the person who's going to leave people feeling good and welcomed and am I approachable? And so I think just like showing up and, and leaving people the way you want to feel remembered, so to speak, is something that I think about a lot. I love that. That's beautiful. Who or what has been your biggest teacher so far? (laughs) I think my mistakes have been my biggest teachers. Uh, (laughs) um, And a lot of them are like consistent. (laughs) Like we think we learn and then we make the same mistake and it's like, "Mm, there it is again. Um, But I think, yeah, just like as somebody you know, I'm sure, you know, as a, I'm, I'm personally a solo founder, solo entrepreneur, and it's kind of left me to kind of wade through my own sort of BS, uh, through the business as well. And, and just knowing like, well, wow, that was a time that you were, you know, not thinking too much about the little things or, you know, not taking too many other people's advice and not just sticking with your gut or things like that. So I'd say those are kind of like, themes that have been really good lessons for me. Yes. One of my favorite mantras, I think I've probably shared it on this podcast before, but I think it's worth sharing again. One of my favorite ones is you either win or you learn because I feel Mm -hmm. like that's kind of how I approach my life because to your point, those mistakes are actually what teaches you the most usually because Mm -hmm. Without those, there's not really a growth happening because if you just are focused on only the wins and you never extend yourself, try something new, you don't grow that to that next level and that next step because you just kind of stay in this hamster wheel. (laughs) So yeah, you probably, we've all been. Can relate. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Renee, I'd love to to start uh, off with your early career journey. So before you were a solopreneur and founder of Amazi Foods, mm-hmm. what did your career journey look like? I graduated from college and was sort of foot in the door in two areas, probably thanks to my liberal arts degree, wasn't very single tracked, but I was very interested in economic development. I had an internship at the Aspen Institute I was working on um, building these sort of models for evaluating entrepreneurial ecosystems. And simultaneously on the side, I was working at a yoga studio and also doing corporate wellness classes. So I've always been like, since I was 18 years old or so, um, teaching fitness, 
on the side from like everything that I was doing. And so I kind of had one foot in the sort of wellness health industry and then one foot in sort of the research economic development space. And I didn't end up getting a full-time offer after this internship for, I think it was a semester or so, or six months. It was the real world. So post-graduation, I don't know what that equivalent, whatever, whatever that equivalent is. And, um, and it kind of left me at this crossroads where I was like, well, I don't necessarily want to work for an NGO. Like I, I had done my thesis research in Uganda um, before graduating and was studying uh, entrepreneurship um, and was kind of like, I don't really see an area of like, quote unquote, development that is structured in a way that like, I feel very good about right now. So let me like lean into wellness for a little while. So I ended up managing a yoga studio um, that became my more or less full-time job at the time. But at the same time, I was still really thinking about my thesis research um, and my experience in Uganda and um, sort of always had this bug the entire time um, from my learnings there, which essentially was just like learning about lack of market access and lack of connection in our global industries. And it just was very clear. And so I think the more time I spent in the wellness and fitness space, the more I was observing sort of that sort of consumer behavior. I myself was like very much into consumer goods and, and learning about different products that were out there and, and what the space was bringing. And I think just two or three years out of college, I was like, well, I don't really see myself going super far as a yoga studio manager. This was great for small business management experience, but it's not really going to be my progression. And I'm still very passionate about, you know, closing the gaps that we identified in our supply chains. Like maybe now is a good time to take a leap. And and that's sort of when I decided um, to just fly back to Uganda and um, build connections um, with, with the people I had there and, and try to see if we could make something happen. So that's sort of how, um, Amazi was born. Oh, so cool. I love it. Yeah. Uh, you're, I grew up in Vancouver, so Mm -hmm. yoga is very intertwined Mm -hmm. with the culture there. Mm -hmm. And I actually used to work for Lululemon. So you're talking about something like, oh yeah, I I can see that. That makes sense. Yeah. But it's so interesting because I always say this to people, especially not that I'm so old, but like to younger people who are just starting out in their careers, you never know how the things you learn, even jobs I had that weren't career jobs I have used. You will Mm -hmm. literally be able to use certain skills you've picked up from every single job. So that's why I always say to people, you just never know how this is going to impact you. And, and how you're going to be able to put those pieces together. And I'm sure you did learn so much, like you said, about how to yeah. run a small business, right? Yeah. And, and also just like, it's not necessarily a glamorous job. Like you're cleaning the floors, you're dealing with customer <laughs> service issues. People don't show up for their shifts. You're killing cockroaches at night. Like you're, you know, you're, you're doing all of the little things that kind of happen behind the scenes and, and also just dealing with customer service. And, and one huge lesson that I got from working at the yoga studio beyond just like yoga, you know, pillars, so to speak, is just like not really to take anything personally, especially in the, in the 
area arena of like customer facing interactions. Like I think when I first started Amazi and started to do demos and stuff of the products and like, wasn't getting good feedback, like my brain would immediately go to like, Oh wait, like they don't like my product. What the heck? And then I'd be like, well, think about all the times that like somebody said something rude to you when you were working the desk and like checking somebody in for class and had nothing to do with you. And it's like being able to then remove it and then actually get the feedback from the conversation as opposed to like, oh, this is about me. They don't like me. Like, it's more like, nope, they're just, something is going on. We're going to figure out what it is and we're going to move on. Um, And I think that was like, you know, I think a lot of people, especially in service, roles, whether you're at a restaurant or a gym or a yoga studio, whatever it might be at a retail, you know, I think a lot of people think like, oh, you're not going to get much from this job. But I really think you learn a lot about handling people <laughs> and, and just how to conduct yourself uh, in, in those kinds of situations. Absolutely. And you know what? I actually look for that kind of experience, even though, you know, now I work in brand and marketing, Mm -hmm. but that type of experience, as you're kind of saying, there are some invaluable things that you get from it. And Mm -hmm. I think what that kind of boils down to is not, and kind of what you said in the beginning, actually, is not letting the small, like, don't sweat the small stuff too, Mm -hmm. because like you said, in reality, that's 99% of the time about them and not about you. And so I think learning to not be reactive Mm, huge, mm-hmm. right? Because <laughs> yeah. I remember by the end of my, cause I served a little bit through university mm-hmm. uh, because the money was for the amount of hours, the money. Oh, for sure. I couldn't get <laughs> close to that. Yeah. 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 I would make, you know, $200 plus in, in a night of working four hours. So just, I couldn't, you can't find something that's that short of time at that age. It was great. Mm-hmm. But I remember by the end, I was like, I don't know if I like people anymore. <laughs> <laughs> do uh, I? Yeah, do I definitely had those moments. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's that part is nuts, and I, I still do. Like, I have been coaching fitness classes of some capacity since I was 18 years old because when I was in college, that was also great bang for my buck. Like, I spent a few hours and it was fun, and I was moving, and I just have always loved it, but. I I now work at a gym that is very focused on form. Like we do a lot of like, let's get that deadlift looking better. And I can be kind of nitpicky. And and I think for me, it's just so funny to see ego like in the classroom study where it's like, I'm literally here trying to help you and make sure that you're not hurting yourself. And, you know, I'm going to deliver the quality of, you know, class that there should be. And I think some people are so used to like just letting the coaches, letting them do whatever they want or like, you know, and it's just like the little mini battles that we get in (laughs) and I'm just like laughing. Like, I'm like, okay, you can resist this, but you're going to walk out of here with your back hurting. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not about me. Like you can take it or leave it friend. I'm going to offer it to you and you pick it up or you put it down. It's totally up to you. But just like being able to kind of like, be like, yep, this isn't about me. And it's not about them. It's just like, I need to like, know that I'm delivering a good service. The same thing with my business. Like I need to know that I'm doing my best and putting my best foot forward. And like, if it doesn't land, we learn from it and you know, we move on. Uh, so that's kind of, kind of a lot of, I think skills that I've gotten in like people facing roles 
um, over the years, for sure. Yes. So, so valuable. And it's funny because at the time you might not think it, but as I said, you never know how that's going to come in handy in some of your other roles. Right. I would love Yes. I would love to chat a bit more about the business specifically. So can you tell us what does Amazi do and who do you do Mm -hmm. it for? Absolutely. So um, Amazi is a socially driven snack company. Um, Our little slogan is snack on purpose. Um, Essentially what we do is we work directly with small businesses and farmers in Uganda to not only ethically source all of our products, but also produce them. And they're all tropical fruit snacks. Right now we have two main product lines. We have our jackfruit chews, which are just sticky, chewy, sweet jackfruit and spices, really delicious. They're my favorite line. And then we also have our plantain chips, um, which are dried and roasted instead of fried. Um, So they have a nice sweet flavor, hearty crunch, all that good stuff. But the main, I think, differentiator beyond just the products themselves is like I said, that they're actually made in country from start to finish. So essentially what we're doing is we're empowering local businesses to access the U.S. market directly um, through kind of our vertically integrated supply chain. So we own a small percentage of the factory, but it's entirely Ugandan owned and operated. And to date, we've created over 80 jobs. Everybody's paid three to four times the local market wages um, because so often what happens in our supply chains, and this is sort of what my thesis was studying, is that you know maybe we're focusing on direct trade and ethical sourcing and such, but a lot of times there are many steps in between in our supply chains where we're just kind of leaving the part that makes the least amount of money to those countries and then bringing you know, products elsewhere to be made and using co-packers, using um, ingredient brokers, using all this stuff. And so I wanted to try to, um, and, and meanwhile, I was watching, you know, the, the wellness space booming and like so much money is being raised by these companies. Like it's almost the new tech space. And I'm just like, there's no reason for this proliferation of like value happening in this other part of the world when like it could be more evenly distributed. And so now basically, like I said, like the product is sourced, produced, packaged all entirely uh, in Uganda. And that's been a long and slow process <laughs> to get it there. Um, and and I think it's it certainly has its own challenges, but to me, it's like, uh, I hope one day will be a model for maybe a more equitable supply chain where people at the source actually have transparency and access to what the final consumer demands, as opposed to just being at the resource level. So that's kind of my, my goal uh, with Amazi. That is so cool. I love that. And that's definitely a differentiator as you kind of touched on. And something I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about was the idea of a social enterprise in general, mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. and for us, we talk about kind of impact, social mm-hmm. impact business, mm-hmm. same idea. But I find that that's become a bit of a buzzword, you know, yes. where everyone wants <laughs> to get in on it. And, and I find that there is a bit of this lack of transparency, which you kind of touched on. Mm-hmm. I want to hear mm-hmm. from you. What does being a social enterprise really mean to you? And then how have you, as you touched on this a bit, but how have you fostered transparency within your business? Like how do you show that transparency to your end consumer? Absolutely. That's such a good 
topic of conversation and, and I have many thoughts, but I think, <laughs> you know, for me, a social enterprise isn't like a business and then you slap on a charity at the end. Like that's not what it is. Like that's great. I think it's great that businesses are being more conscious in some capacity. I think it's great. You know, the one percent for the planet. Great. Like this is all good initiatives. Um, and I should, I certainly do not discourage people from doing that. But for me, I'm a mission first business. Like I would not have started this business if I didn't have the mission. And, and I think, and there's also no way I would have stuck through with it because it's been hard. Like I do not recommend. (laughs) And, And, but I think it's like, it's been, again, mission first. Like it took me three years to even find the right structure for our supply chain that would be delivering both to our consumers and the beneficiaries in Uganda. Like initially we used to use a third party. We would produce um, in bulk there dried fruit type items and we would import it here and package it here. But that caused a lot of issues because we didn't have a direct line of transparency to the farmers. There was always a middleman. And then also like it wasn't delivering the quality to my consumer. So I couldn't really deliver on what I was promising. It took me over three years to like test the market in that regard before finding a better like partner in Uganda that would be able to really service a, what we needed to do from a business perspective in order to actually survive and accomplish any mission, um, but B, like to really see the impact of what we were doing and also like the transparency to know like what wasn't working. Like, I think that it's really easy to slap on metrics or be like, we're planting trees or we're doing this or we're doing that. And like, yeah, I certainly have those numbers, but I also know like, you know, our efficiencies with fruit waste is like pretty low and we really need to work on that. Like I have access to all those things. And I think unless you actually know, like a, the problem that you're trying to solve (laughs) and B like how it's being solved and all the steps in between, like, I think claiming to be like a true social enterprise is maybe just somewhat of a, a, a greenwashing. Like I, I, I think again, it's great to have a business that does social good, but I think there's a difference between like, there is a mission and we're solving it through a business solution versus like, I have a business solution and I'm going to decide to like donate some of my profits or like do something good while I'm doing it. So they're both good things, but I think they're different. Um, and, and with regards to the other part of the question, transparency wise, I think that this is also really interesting because transparency has also become kind of a buzzword. And sometimes it's just like people on their Instagram stories, like showing what's going on behind the business. And I think that's one version of transparency. Um, we do certainly try to show, like, I try to do less of like, this is me and my business. I try to do a lot more of like, okay, we're going to show you guys how we source from the farms or like, we're going to show you guys you know, meet some of the team members in Uganda who are actually working on making this product and like showing interviews on our blogs and things like that. And I do, I do try to have um, annual sort of reports. They're, they're somewhat informal at this point. Like we don't have an external auditor quite yet. We're not at that stage, but we do try to publish every year. Like how many more farmers have we sourced from? How much more fruit are we buying? Are we still paying at average X percent above market rate? How many jobs have been created? That kind of thing. So 
And I think it's kind of learning also like what the best medium is to kind of tell that story, because I do think that social media has become super crowded too. So I think we're still learning how to make sure that we're always delivering transparency in the most effective way. But I think it's, it's important to like be bringing it through all, uh, all channels of communication whenever we can. Yes, absolutely. And I think from what I'm hearing from you, transparency is kind of just integrated in the DNA of your business. Because as you were saying, you do have eyes on every single part of the process. So I think even that's really interesting and unique because it allows for that deep level of transparency because you do really know what's happening the whole time, which is really cool. Yeah. And it's, and I think that that's like, if I didn't have, I, I guess I'm just thinking about like, as, as challenging as it is sometimes to know all the parts of the business because you're like, oh, and that's not working and that's not working and that's not working. Like, I think it's also like, well, wow, if I didn't know this, we couldn't address it. You know, like, for example, we've been having problems. Our manufacturing partners in Uganda are also a small business. And so they also have small business growing pains. And they didn't tell me that they had like a huge, you know, well, let's think of it like an example of like the ginger they were sourcing wasn't good. And so they had to like pay a lot more for something and they were losing money on it. And so we were able to like problem solve a way to like, okay, well now we can actually sustainably grow our own ginger right on the property. And that's going to be a better solution for everybody, both environmentally, you know, all that good stuff. So it's kind of like, unless you don't see these little problems happening, you, you can't make it better. And, and so for me, it's like, I I really try as much as I'm not an operations gal, like I really try to at least have a handle on like, what are the problems that everybody is facing each step along the way? Because there's a lot that we can always improve upon. And I'm not saying that we'll be able to find the solution right away, but at least bringing it up to the surface as opposed to kind of having it be like a lingering unknown, I think is so important in order to truly run like an actual, like transparent conscious business. Like you kind of have to be willing to like know all the things that aren't working <laughs> in order to, to really like stay true to that. Absolutely. And the other thing is as you scale if this is your desire, you would have someone on your team in operations where you still have the direct line because you still have someone who has all those skills, but you trust and is value aligned, et cetera, et cetera. So you would still hear about them. It would just be more in condensed form. And most of the time, this is great when you have team members, they would just solve all like the small things and just maybe give you a heads up. And then maybe the bigger things they might need to bring to you, but as, yeah. as you grow, that's what you'll do. You won't end up having to do every little thing yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Last thing I wanted to talk to you about, Renee, is the fact that you are a woman-owned business, which is amazing. We love to see it. What <laughs> is important for you about being woman-owned and really seeing women-owned businesses thrive? Yeah. So I think what's really I have a few thoughts on that when I hear that, but I think one is just, again, pertaining to our supply chain. Like we partner with majority female farmers and also 
the majority of our employees at our uh, factory are also women. And our production leader is actually a young woman as well. And I think what's been really interesting, especially just seeing that that has a lot of power in the sense that they are excited to see another woman working with them and kind of like, you know, in, especially in leadership roles and the fact that we do promote up again, often women in, in the, in the whole organization from all the way from the source to the top. I think that, you know, sometimes maybe we take it for granted here in the States because we talk like there is a lot of focus on woman owned and that's amazing. But and I think there's more that can be done, but, but I think especially, you know, in other countries in Uganda, for example, where I'm often both the youngest and the only female, um, kind of like in a room of directors, for example. Um, and, and it's incredible to see that start to shift. Um, but I do really feel it more highlighted even when I'm, when I'm there working with my teams over there. But I do think here I've found such a different sense of community with other women business owners. I think that we all have very unique experiences, especially in consumer goods. Uh, I think that it's been historically a very male-driven place. And um, I think that I've certainly experienced some elements of, especially when I was first getting started, I started my business when I was in my mid-20s. And I had, you know, all the imposter syndrome, feeling too young, feeling, you know, female, all that stuff. And I just remember like looking back on some of the conversations that I had, like the way that people spoke to me and, and just in negotiations and contracts and like totally doubting myself the entire time. And I just think like, wow, if I had had those conversations with another woman and, or if I had seen somebody else who was a woman handle this previously, maybe I wouldn't have like reacted in the way that I did, or I don't know. So I think the more we can have people sort of peers or even folks ahead of us, mentors, of course, that are women as well. Like that's to me, like really important um, to find and seek out. And, and, you know, I hope that I, I try to offer help whenever I can to somebody who's also making their way up and, Anyway, I just, I find a greater sense of community for sure. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. So before we get to the rapid fire round, I would like to (laughs) acknowledge you, Renee, for the incredible work you're doing in really showcasing how you can have full transparency and really have that supply chain fully integrated so that you can have the best and biggest impact for the people you partner with. It's really, really amazing. And thank Thank you you. so much for being on the show. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Rapid fire round. Are you ready? Oh man. Okay. (laughs) A book that's changed your life. I think this is tough, but I think I would go with, and this is a weird one, but educated. (laughs) The reason being, it was one of the first sort of memoirs that I read that was really illustrating like such a different way of life in the same country, like how someone could have such a different experience within our very own country. And it just, for me, just like highlighted on a bigger level, like how we're all having our own little experiences and like, you can't just simplify, you know, like 
I mean, not to get political, but like, no wonder people have such different opinions in this country, you know, like, <laughs> so I think for me that like, and I, I tend to gravitate towards that genre of sort of like memoirs from people of other cultures and other, you know, life experiences that I haven't had um, to really just like open my mind up a little bit more. But that was one of the first ones that I was like, oh, oh, damn. <laughs> it's a great book. Yeah. Favorite place you've traveled? Whew. I think maybe Cape Town, South Africa. Love it. I haven't been, haven't been. Add to my list. Highly recommend. What's a lesson you've learned recently? Mm. (laughs) That you often get more out of being open than keeping to yourself. (laughs) Good to to be vulnerable, I guess. Good to be vulnerable. That is such a good one. Name a woman who inspires you. My mom and my grandma, both oh, super so incredible people. My my mom is self-employed and she grew up in Germany and Israel and like post-World War II and she's just the best. And then my grandmother was like, she passed away a few years ago, but she was just like the most positive bubbly person I've ever met. And like everything was so wonderful. And she had a really, really tough life growing up also survived through World War II and, you know, came to the States and had nobody and nothing and just, just only got through fourth grade, you know, and still just like thriving. And I think it's incredible to like, just have this lineage of women who are the best. So yeah, I like, I'm very inspired by them consistently. That is beautiful. My mama heart always loves when people say their mom. I'm like, oh, so cute. Love it. Yeah. I love my, I love my mom. <laughs> well, thank you again, Renee. This has been so lovely to chat. And I think you bring so much to the table. And I want to make sure everyone goes and follows along. And do you ship just to the U.S. right now? Right now we're just in the U.S. We do some direct wholesale to Canada. But uh, yeah, I think our website is mostly just the U.S. right now. Great. So where can everybody follow along on your journey? See all this exciting transparency we've been talking about. Thank you so much. So it's amazifoods.com. That's A-M-A-Z-I-F-O-O-D-S.com. And then also on Instagram, we're at amazifoods. Those are sort of the main platforms right now. And we're also on Amazon and such as well. And if you do live in the U.S., we're in about a thousand retail locations. So check out our store locator and find a place near you. would love to have your support and to have you try our delicious snacks too. They look amazing. Thanks again, Renee. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Girls Who Run the World podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend who would love it. Leave us a five-star review and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. To learn more about Our Gorongosa, head over to OurGorongosa.com and find us on social at OurGorongosa.com.